0: Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Who Moved My Back In podcast. I am your host, Clyde Tummy. This week I was joined by Corinne, who is the founder of K K-Flawless Media Agency and PR. I met Corinne earlier this year, around March, celebrating Yolanda's birthday. And I told her about the podcast that I wanted her on. And finally, we managed to get a chance to sit down, chop it up and talk about her background from growing up in Dijon, France, moving to Paris, moving to England and finally settling in London. In this episode, we discussed her career from corporate life to fashion, where she managed to explore her passion, really, and she's living her fashionable dream, which is amazing. So one of the questions that I had for Corrine was how somebody who is just starting out can get PR for their brand. And she answered those questions amazingly. So make sure you listen to the episode. Enjoy it. And let me know what you think. Remember the hashtag on Twitter is who moved my back in? And you can also slide in my DMs on Instagram who moved My back In. Also, as usual, if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast... The email address you need to email is guest at whomovemybackin.co.uk or you can go on the website www.whomovemybackin.co.uk and at the top it says, there's a little tab that says be a guest or you can use the contact form and then tell me about your business, tell me why you want to come on the podcast and just tell me a little bit about your story. I want to hear it. But in the meantime, enjoy the episode. Here we go. So tell me, so I know that you have your family in, in, um, in France. Is it Paris?
1: I'm in different city. Most of the family is in Paris. I have other people in other cities and in the south.
0: Yeah. And, <clears throat> but you said, when I spoke to you, I think, was it last week when we were talking, where you said that you're actually from Guadeloupe? Yes, my family is, yeah. Were you born from, there? Or you I born in Paris? Born in Dijon. It's a town. In France? It's in France, like mustard. Really? Like the mustard? Um, is that, is that no. where the mustard comes from? Exactly. Oh, exactly I didn't there. know this.
1: And you've got the whole factories and all that. And also, oh. if you're drinking, I don't know, do you know Kir Royale? The drink?
0: Sounds very familiar, but I'm not Quire, sure.
1: K-I-R, and then Royal. Royale, it's usually with a cassis, which is black currant liqueur. Mm-hmm. And... If it's in white wine, it's a Kir. If it's Kir Royale, it's champagne MSN, and a same black liquor. liqueur. That is that that um, that drink is from Dijon. The actual liqueur is from Dijon. Sorry, when yeah. you have, Lots of restaurants do it. I mean, if you ask for a Kir Royale, they, they know okay. It had to be from there. Oh. I mean, the the mix of champagne and that particular liqueur is from you know there. Yeah, Cognac is from the city called Cognac. Yeah. Oh, and, that's very interesting too. I had no idea, <laughs> and I don't even drink, but it's a thing. People know. Yeah, yeah. that's a little fun fact. Okay, any, any bartender, if you ask for King Royal,
0: try. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely going to try it now. I'll, I'll definitely yeah. try the champagne as well. So like, yeah, yeah. So, so you grew up there. You're born and raised there. You had the, yeah. um, what's the word? You were fortunate enough to go to a school in in France where you, you said that you guys were taught swimming as part of the curriculum, which something that we don't have in England well, for the yeah, most part.
1: Swimming, what did I do with school? We went to the snow class. So it's like a winter class and parental uh, approval. And then you'll go on a, a, a trip field for like two, three days in know, chalet. And obviously I was doing, you know, the basic on the slope. Not like the the skiing, whatever. But my first experience of snow and ski and yeah. being on the mountain and eating eating, you know, melted cheese and whatever it was with my my teacher.
0: That's amazing. It's so interesting to find out like how other countries do schooling and stuff.
1: Because I imagine if it was just down to my family.
0: Yeah. say like probably wouldn't. Yeah. The the exposure that we have for some of these things is not for
1: that skiing, much. Yeah, amongst black <laughs> family <laughs> or you know, swimming and I did the same thing, a field trip to uh, the south of France in, um, it was Cap dagged and we got to see how they cultivate the mussels. So they've got, you know, areas with seas of mussels. So yeah, because in France you have everything, you got mountains, you got the sea, you got yeah. the beach. So I got to do that at school. So you, did you enjoy your growing up there? hundred percent. I There's some stuff that I now look back and think, I was very privileged, but we weren't weren't a privileged family. Mm. It's just that it was just part of what you got. Yeah. Regardless of whether you're rich or poor, that's what you got. And then if you got to, I would say, a private school, um, and I guess people tend to go to private school from what we call high school and college, not really primary school. I don't even think of... Private primary school. I don't even know if there's such a thing as private, private school, primary school in in France. Not that I can think of, because the curriculum and the teaching, in most parts, in decent school, are very, very good. Mm-hmm. I did oh. go to private uh, high school and private uh, secondary school as well, to be honest. But You
0: did? Okay, you did. So yeah. was that expensive? Because the only reason why no. I asked that is because you said that you don't come from a privileged background. And we know that in this country, if you were to go to a private school or an independent school, like they call them, you have to be from a privileged background or at no. least go on scholarship.
1: In France, the way it works uh, and the way it worked, where I went, it was based on your parents' um, income. So, uh, a lot of Catholic school are private, had a, a very good um, um, how could I say that? had a very good had very good teachers, very good classes. So yeah, that's where I went. It not necessarily cost a lot more money to my mom. It's definitely. and you know, in France, education is free. So all mm. fees in France, you can't compare with what people pay in this country.
0: So now that we know that you're like a fashion guru, fashion queen. But my question is, what did you want to be when you, when you were younger? What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were younger?
1: Oh, My younger self, I was like, um, I thought I would work in fashion for sure. Oh, so it's always been there? I, I was scouted in the street for modeling when I was 15. 14. Really? Yeah. I was super skinny, uh, dark skin, as you know, in a town with you probably white so I stood out, I guess. And, yeah. I, and then one time I got scouted by a guy from the US who was scouting in France for new talent. And my mom said no. Because otherwise I could have flown and started a career. Why did point. she say no? Just because she was like, no, I don't, I don't know these people. You're the only 15. She didn't realise. Did, I don't know that she knew that this is what I really wanted to do. She now knows. Yeah. But I don't mind not having a professional modelling career. But like I still did commercial modeling for like 12 years or 15. I stopped doing modeling jobs, I guess, mid 30s. Hmm. <laughs> and then, A, I didn't have the energy anymore. B, my body changed uh, drastically and I wasn't about to force myself to, hmm. and, and you know, competing and casting and whatever. But for somebody who was not necessarily super tall, I'm only 5'8, and yeah, I, I think I had a long run. And I had a lot of, a lot of commercial work. Yeah. Mini or print online, hair, ski, I mean. But we know about your hair. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> modelling is vast. You don't have yes. to be super told to be modelling.
0: So you did not feel some kind of animosity towards your mom for her kind of saying no to that opportunity at that the, you could have
1: time, had? At the time, it wasn't animosity, but I was just like, Coming from a humble background and what was going on at home, I just felt like, okay, this is my chance. Mm. I'm going to leave. You know. And I, I was I was at an affinity with English. So somehow, pretty quickly, and thanks to my mom, who um, made sure she sacrificed everything so that in the summer, I would go abroad and that planted the seed. And I was like, oh, I want to live in England one day. Because I remember my first trip to england was thanks to my mom i think i was 14 15 i did i must have done that two three years in a row one year i was in sussex and it's like a whole thing and they say it's like an induction Mm. um so you it's an i don't know if the organization still exists but it's called silk so you'll be with an english family and oh. in the afternoon you meet the group that you came with and you, you you, you, visit this and that and the other. So I've done Sussex, I've done Bath and I, it's, it's stupid because I was so young, I used to think, oh my God, it looked like Harry Potter. Obviously, you know, when you go to Bath and Sussex, <laughs> so I, the whole of England looked like that. I was like, oh my God, I would love to live here. You know, like the Victorian uh, style, everything looked all ancient and antique. And I was like, oh, yeah. like in a, you know,
0: like Harry Potter. It's like the Yeah, family. that's what they told us. Yes, that's what like, I thought England looked like growing up
1: until I yeah. came. <laughs> yeah, until I came and moved to Manchester. That was a shout. I was like, this is not what I thought. <laughs> but then um, that's the vision I had of England. Yeah. And um, for the little English I spoke and, uh, and being with them sitting with an English lady and discovering what jelly is. And I was like, why is people putting jam, um, uh, jam in their peas? I was like, why is Marmite? You know, I discovered yeah. that. So I planted the seed. And soon enough, when I moved from Dijon to Paris to work, I was a broker, actually. I was working for an e-bank that had no. Frankly, I was ahead of my time. I don't know how, but I got a job there. That was my favorite job in the world. <laughs> I was working on the... Three days on, four days off, and then four days okay. off, four days off. Mm. And basically people would call and say, I would like to buy and sell shares and so dealing with their portfolio. And I was making quite decent money, and the place was by the on the Champs-Élysées, next to one of the biggest TV station in the mm. in, in MCs. So I really loved this. And I remember there was this international international um how you call it international recruitment agency called manpower i think they are in the uk yeah and you have manpower manpower international international Mm. and i don't know how i must have gone for an interview with a recruitment agency at some point bumped into a girl And she was like, oh, I'm looking for a job abroad because, you know, prospects in in France are not what they are, as we all know. And I was like, okay. She said, do you know Manpower International? I said, okay, let me go. And there, they were offering permanent jobs in England. By that point, I moved from that bank to another bank and I was doing back office work, Mm -hmm. dealing with shares and financial products and placing orders. So a bit more I mean if I stayed I would have been on a different career path to be honest I did uh, for three months they wanted to offer me a permanent contract and I could see them thinking oh she's slipping away I'd already had my interviews and the first job they offered me Manpower International they were like all you need is to speak speak French and no basic IT and There was something in Glasgow, and I was like, nah, I'm not going to Greenock or something in the middle. And I was looking salaries-wise. That's before the Euros. That's 15 years ago. And in pounds, it sounded like a lot. And I was like, oh, 14K? No, I'm not sure. But that was a lot. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: In pounds. And Mm. we are French ranks. That's what they've seen. So I was like, no, I'll wait. Four months later, they're like, oh, IBM is recruiting French speakers it's in manchester so i go on the map oh manchester united man city okay maybe that's not far from london and i look at the salary and i think it was between 16k Oh, that's a lot of money hmm. it's permanent what you're paying me for my you're paying for my flight and you're giving me a thousand pound um welcome bonus to pay for my accommodation you give me a letter so I can open a bank account with NatWest because IBM was banking with NatWest. So most employees banked there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to stay for a year or if not, I'd have to give the money back or whatever. You know, I was like, no. So I remember giving up my flats, leaving my cat behind, my godmother, and then giving stuff to my aunties and selling stuff and whatever and saying, yeah. And then sitting in that flight to Manchester, because they bought my flight as well, mm. with a suitcase. And and then looking by the window and thinking, Nouvelle Vie, new life. And I was like 22. Ali had died two weeks before. And 9-11 happened. Mm. And I was scared. I was like, oh, my God, after the U.S., the second biggest nation of Muslim in Europe is going to be England. Mm. My heart was like, oh, I hope I'm doing the the right choice, but I'm gonna come. So here I came, seven days after nine eleven, the eighteenth of September two thousand and one, and I was like, okay, worst case scenario, I do one year, then I come back and I smash everything in France. And uh, t- 20 to 21 years later, I'm still here. here. <laughs> yes, but basically that's why I was. So I arrived in this country with a permanent job.
0: Okay, so how long did you work for IBM? Two years. And then where did you go?
1: So two years, one year and a half, I was on a help desk called Baxter for pharmaceuticals. So I was doing IT stuff there. Then I thought I need more money. So I worked night shift and I worked for Jaguar and Land Rover doing, being an administrator. And uh, and I was like, oh, I'm, my pay is going to increase to 19K. But then my shift was something like I was starting at, I was finishing at 2 a.m. basically. Wow. I, I can't remember. 5 or 6 and and then 07. So I would have dinner with my housemates and I would finish at 2 a.m. Then after that, I thought, no, you know what? Now that after two years, my English was better, Mm -hmm. much better, I thought, okay, I can apply for jobs and go back into the more financial route. And I left and went and worked for a French company called Michelin. Mm -hmm. The tires? The tires and and the Michelin guides. And I worked there in accounting for two years. And after that, I I realized, okay, I don't want to be an accountant. This finance thing is not the the thriving, broken, you know, banking stuff I was doing in Paris. I said, now I'm going to try to re my way back. Now that I really speak English well, four years in, and I got a job as an analyst, credit risk analyst for ExxonMobil. I thought, okay, I'm picking up speed. Then it was a one-year contract. And at the time, a lot of companies were outsourcing India, uh, Eastern Europe. So I can tell you for free that at the time, my job at Michelin, uh, we brought everything back from France to England. I went to ExxonMobil. So I was dealing with business clients and dealing, giving them, you know, millions of credit lines and stuff like that. So that was my life then. It was a fun time. But then somebody who spoke more languages than me and French who lived in Prague got the job. So again... I had to move job because my job was moving to Eastern European country to to Prague, and I went there on business mm. to sit with him mm. <laughs> in my job, so he could take it to tell 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 them how to do your job that they were it. Who yes. still works there to this day? Cause I see him on LinkedIn. But anyway, <laughs> more languages and was earning and costing a lot less right to the company. So there you go. That's life. So I somehow managed to get into my first managerial job at AstraZeneca. So here I am, 26 years old, and I get a job in Cheshire, Macclesfield, grueling hour and 10 minutes commute each way. So it's like two and a half hours on train every day to go to work. Train and bus. And it's not like you're tapping with the car, you know. It's a bus and it's a local company. That's not the one in Manchester. So it was a lot And I was a team leader there and I started, it wasn't very diverse, I remember, um, walking in and seeing that there was one gay guy, Dutch and me. Everybody else looked the same and was British Mm -hmm. and from that end of the world. Uh, so when they're saying, okay, these are the, t- the four team leaders, with four of us appointed, and that he's that's your team, and then I saw women who thought, who is this child? One was close to retirement, so I and, and I know the energy they got to know me. But at the beginning, I could feel like they were looking at me, uh, saying things like, oh yeah, when I when I was your age, Can you imagine saying that to yeah. your boss. Yeah. That's this fact.
0: Or well, <laughs> even saying, um, they probably might have the attitude of, I'm not gonna,
1: I'm not reporting to her. Yeah. And then and, and then another one was like on the first day, I'm just there putting my my coats. There was a place to like coats and everything. Oh hi. Oh yeah, so where are you from again? And I'm like France. Oh that's nice. How long have you been here? For like okay, four years. Uh, oh, and when are you going back? Oh. <laughs> you know, as in <laughs> yeah, yeah, that part. <laughs> that was my first ooh, because Every job before, everybody was foreigners. We were all foreigners. Right. I was working in European centers and I was only going for language based jobs, jobs that require languages. So the majority of my friends were uh, not British. And then here I was in deeper northern England. And this person is telling me, when you're going back, <laughs> as in to your country. <laughs> No, I have to laugh because obviously now I hope oh I've got my own business yeah. managing people. But that's why I thought, was it a little slight little hint of racism there? Yeah, 100%. Um, I wasn't the person that I am now, but I was still me. So they soon yeah. found out that they had to comply. And I was my learning gosh. to manage. I'd never managed anyone. All of yeah. us when you got ten people that you have to be responsible for. And then when your colleague is off, you have to manage your team and their team. So you're now twenty, thirty, forty people managing you. Now I could do it with my eyes closed, but then I was like twenty six.
0: Mm. And I'm sure they're probably very difficult. You know, you're dealing with 26 different characters Absolutely. who are thinking of you like, who is this little girl? Who is this little black girl? Why do I have to. And
1: she's not British. she with a strong accent because my accent was very strong at the time, stronger yeah. than it is now. So imagine, there is, must have been bleeding. <laughs> I was like, shout out to IAZ for sprinkling a little bit of diversity. So, from
0: the corporate, so you did like a whole. Bunch of corporate jobs, right? For like a long time. When did you transition to
1: to fashion? What happened? Well, after AstraZeneca, I we soon realized that they used us. They knew these jobs were never gonna last. They were gonna automate staff. So all the people were processing hundred invoices a day. That was gonna be done automatically by OCR, which is optical character recognition. You're going to have a program. It's going to scan a paper. So long it reads the word invoice and P.O., it will automatically put in the system. So all of mm. a sudden, one 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 system can process, I don't know, three, four, 500 invoices by itself. Why would you pay somebody to sit down and process 100 invoices manually? Exactly. Their Good job time. was going to go. I yeah. thought if their job was going to go, my job was going to go. So I was dealing with buyers in pharmaceuticals and I was dealing with the management side. So I was like, what? And they wanted to people to uh, to reapply for their jobs.
0: And, I hate when companies do that and I've never understood
1: it. Yeah. And at that point, I thought, you know what? And I was, yeah, I was living with my boyfriend at the time and we thought like, maybe we should move to London. Better opportunity. And in my mind, I was obsessed with that. I, like, I want to work with an investment bank. I'm ready. And there was no investment banking up north. Mm. So I, I applied and and it wasn't that first. I got myself a job at Disney, the Walt Disney Company in Hamsburg. Yeah. And I was still a team leader, but for royalties. So I discovered the world of royalties for Disney consumer products. Um, and a personal change in life made me having to earn more money. Um, because all of a sudden I have to leave by myself in London in a flat where I thought we were gonna be two. Mm. So I thought, oh my god, what can I do that's gonna earn me more money? And I'm done with managing people because it's a lot of politics. And I got a contract at the British Council as a project uh, administrator. Um uh in treasury and that was paying the most money i've ever earned working for somebody else to banks, mm. um up till when i started working in banks but it was a lot of money i remember at the time it was the equivalent of like a thousand pound a week which today a week oh yeah damn yeah it's the- a lot right now it is yeah because i was a contractor Okay. I started thinking, you know what, this all, going in a company, imagine being given to somebody else, doing a one-year contract, thinking going to be permanently going to use me. You know what, I'm going to be a contractor. I'm going to use you too. And and as a contractor, you know, contractors can make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's when I just, so I did one year there, um, and I was handling East Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. I had an amazing boss at the time who is we still know each other till till this day because I tend to somehow have maintained relationship a long time. So people I worked with 20 years ago are still fr- I'm still friends with people were my friends when I was living in France. When I moved, I still my friend now, and um, and I was the same. So um, and thanks to him, he decided okay because you look after Sub-Saharan Africa, we're going to meet all the banks in Nigeria. Mm. So my first ever time in Nigeria was on a business trip uh, oh, on the the, best one. Uh, the British council. So you can imagine you were re- welcome, like diplomats, our visa were issues on the day. Like you work for the British council, it's like working for, I don't know. It was like working for the government. So flew business class, stayed in the best hotel. And the what I heard about Nigeria, and like, oh, be careful, you could be kidnapped. And I went there, I was like, that's... Definitely not my experience. And, and yeah, that, that was that. Um, and, again, it was a contract. Mm. Like most contracts, at the end of the contract, you need to move on. And, again, they tried to centralise a lot of things in India. So there was no room for my boss, therefore there was no room for me. And that's when I thought, you know what, now I have fine-tuned my financial uh, skills. Let's try to tackle the financial market. So I did New York Stock Exchange, uh, Euronext, contract, then Citibank. And at that point, I knew I wanted to start my own business. And I thought, okay, let me not manage. Let me not even do something a bit too tough. So I became an executive assistant for an entire team of investment banker. Oh, my God. If you can survive that in an investment bank, bearing in mind at that level, they're going to employ people who's, you know, speak languages, have a degree and can do 20,000 things. You should be able to support somebody who is a managing director to hire up, handle the inbox and being able to respond to emails as if you were them. Mm. That taught me everything I need to know in the job in, as an entrepreneur today. That was the hardest job.
0: Because you have to learn about, if you're responding on their behalf, you have to learn their tone. You have to learn how they talk. Yeah. But if it's more than one of them, geez.
1: Yes, yes. So I was supporting at first as a team. It was a maternity cover. And from there, I went to, and it's funny because Reuters wanted to go offer me a job. And I just literally just said yes to city. And again, it's funny how life happens. I remember having a friend, he was working at the British Council. She was still there. And I knew, okay, let me help her. Because if not, she's gonna she's gonna struggle. She'd not done a CV. I was like, send me your CV. I did. I tweaked it. I sent it to the, the recruitment agent. I said, you know what? She's almost she's like me. We, mm. we did a similar job. We're on the same team. I literally just accepted this job. So if I'd gone there, I would have gone the route analyst and blah blah blah. And I probably wouldn't have maybe done okay flawless so in hindsight maybe it was better that I took that route of executive assistant and whatnot because it gave me <laughs> privileges I could work from home and all that which became very handy when you start your own business <laughs> but I thinking about it <laughs> I had gone to Thompson Reuters and going project management there would be no room for that and I yeah. went from City I did one year and I went to Barclays again I was working for an amazing French guy who's very protective uh, and, you know, the more senior people are, they love to have their own PA or yes. EAs, because at that point I was a uh, senior executive assistant at that point. So I was in a team. I was meant to be shared with other directors, but he made it clear that, no, she's mine. And uh, and then one Christmas, um, almost a year in the job, he goes on holidays for Christmas. And then the C- I had networked because by then I realized I'm a good PR. I'm going to do my thing. I had think I had started um, K- Flawless around 20, 2011, uh, 11, and basically I had befriended because if you're a senior year in a big bank or big organization, it's good to know the other CEOs and other MDs, PIs. It's easier to get into the calendar and stuff. So I'd befriended the PA of the actual CEO of Atlas, Yeah, so at least um, she gave me a forewarning. Um, that things were going to changed. And uh, sadly at the time, Christmas came and basically they told me he's not going to come back. And I was like, what? And he was in the process of trying to make me permanent. Right. So I thought, oh. so Christmas went, do you know, these are big corporations and change happens. And yeah, he didn't come back. So... I packed his stuff and I said, don't worry, I'll send it to your yeah. home uh, so you don't have to come back and do that because we're on open space, you know, like, and um, and I said financially I wasn't planning that and I was like, I really don't want to be unemployed at Christmas, you know, I have no one here. Yeah. And she she kind of pulled some string, they said, we'll keep you till February. So it gave me a bit of a breather. Hmm. And at that point, I was already doing K-Flawless. Okay, that's good. And I thought, you know what, let me see if this K-Flow is full-time, what it's going to give. Yeah. The February of that year, I jumped. You just left. Not left, but you were just I like, I'm right. going to do this. So I ended up full-time doing that side job, became the main job because I had no other job to go to. And I right. looked work on the side, nothing was coming through. So I was like, it's going to have to work. Yeah. And I was... um. It's gonna be yeah, twelve, twelve years ago. So what made you start K Flawless then?
0: Because if we're gonna look at your background from what you've said so far, none of nothing says PR, right? It no. all says banking,
1: or it says it's it stuff, corporate. right? Right. So um, the double life from I would say from it while I was in Manchester, my last job, but astrazeneca i uh, you know i was doing that one hour commute and all that there's two major life events that happened suffering severely from endometriosis in and out of hospital 10 years mis- misdiagnosed until diagnosed when i had a laparoscopy and ended up having three surgeries and i'm grateful for astrazeneca because i had private healthcare. right i don't know how my what path would have happened if I had to do everything under NHS at the time for the kind of surgeries I had. Won't go into details, but it was life-changing surgeries, um, which affected also having a bit of colon removed. And, you know, if, you know, for people who had surgery and having a bit of your intestine removed, it changes everything, the way you eat, Uh your system, it's for life. That's, that's, that's things I didn't know then that I know now. And that's made me wanting to be a contractor and having more flexibility. Yeah. Because go and medical appointment when you're in a permanent job and you think, okay, you got painful cycles because endometriosis. Employers don't always understand. So you see, that's what I said. God knew what he was doing by giving that other job to my friend and putting me on the contracting route, with there being gaps into in between jobs. So on the gaps from I would say 20s, well my twenties all the way to to mid 30s to be honest. I did a lot of modeling work. I, I threw myself back out there. I was on Star now agencies would not get me on because either they were not looking for black models or I was too short allegedly, but I was booking job directly. Job after job after job through star now through Model Mayhem through mm. I remember the model mayhem. We just do that. Them days. And I remember on a bad month, I would get maybe £500 of bottling work. So, okay, it's not high flight. <laughs> on a good month, it probably probably 1000 and I always booked commercial. So, I was like, okay. And as I progressed with K-Flawless, I thought, no, unless it's a commercial, the one a year. So, I did like an ad for Uber. I did something with um, Tabasco for the 100 years anniversary. Like, Right. Uh, I did something for, um, was it, um, you know, like a Nigerian drink, like malt, hmm. uh, things like that. So I had a few commercial here and there. But when you work for yourself, you can go and do that if you think, okay, it's going to be worth your day, your day. And at the beginning, when you start a business, you haven't got much money. I didn't have no team. I didn't have no offices. At one point, I remember I was living in Fulham with my then husband and I would go to this cafe that had a space and it would allow me to come with my laptop and stay the whole day and I would buy every Thursday a drink and a bit of food and I would do that two two days a week and have an intern Uh, and then try to manage that way and I think at the time, I don't know if people understood what I was doing. I don't even think that my, my then husband understood what I was doing. They were thinking, yeah, you do that until you get the next proper job as in bank or finance or whatever. They didn't I think see that, that pays. Yeah, they didn't pays. see their vision. But the more I kept at it, the more it came to it. So when I was in Manchester, I tried to, to start a company to do fashion events. Mm. That's what i intended to do and as i moved to london i left that a little like in floating around but somehow it was called something else i won't mention the name because he was with somebody else um that was dating at the time and living with Mm -hmm. and that person was a graphic designer and i actually pushed him to work for himself and he works for himself to this day uh-huh. So I'm glad I inspired him to do that. I'll, I'll take the credit. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was working for other people, and I thought you are an amazing designer. Um, but then, so he did all the branding and the logo and everything else for that company. So when I moved to London, I thought, mm, let me disband that company. And I thought, Karin... Because I had a, I had a, a group on Facebook, and it's now I can't even get back in it. And it's grown thousands of people in there it was called manchester flawless fashion yeah so it, i i think it's still on facebook but i i'm literally exited the group and it's grown legs and and i thought mm. so when i moved to london everybody was like oh um okay, okay. i was like it's, my name is karine KK. Okay, okay. i was like let me think K okay, flawless that sounds good so i did k flawless fashion and I was trying to do events and stuff like that. And I realized a lot of services, people were asking me, Brian, how can I get this? How can I get press? How can I do that? I realized this is not even management. What is this called? Hmm. Is well, I guess it's PR. So I renamed Careflawless PR. <laughs> so you didn't know what you were doing, but you were doing it. Basically, <laughs> Careflawless PR. It's careflawless fashion, Careflawless PR. And then um, by the time I really knew what I was doing, and I was paying, it was paying okay. And there was a lot of ups and downs. There'd been months where I made zero. When mm. I think about it, there's been well, had no income. Mm. Month where I had little income that was just enough to eat. Yeah. Survive. Um yeah, these these are things and times where and I I don't have the family where I can turn around and ask mom or that there's no that mom is widow, but there's there was no one. So there've been people who have been pivotal at that time in my life who helped me. And in instability as well of, you know, um because eventually on a personal life I got divorced. I'm a very private person, so I don't really mention it. I only mention it in this particular case because it forced me to move out and leave. Um, and I thought, you know what, as as much as I hate it, I'm gonna flat share, but I wanna live in a nice area. I'm doing PR, I've worked in Canada a I thought, okay, I'm gonna live in a penthouse. I'm gonna share with people. I don't wow. know if I with people and I live at the best address. That also opened doors by being in Canary Wharf, using rigors in Canary Wharf on 25 Canada Square. I met people who are still in my life now and connected me with the people I needed. Because by the end of the day, it's like when you choose a working space or co-working space, you're going to select a location that is going to be conducive to you. The same way that people yeah. choose to house because they want to mingle with people in the creative industry. I was like, I live in Canary Wharf. I want to walk to work. I don't want to commute. Let me go there. And somehow I met, as I said, people that I see in my life today. And um, I did have a business partner. This is somebody I brought in into my business. Mm. Um, it brought a lot to the picture on the marketing side. Um, and basically our relationship broke. No fault of my own. Uh, but I felt that my trust was... Betrayed and that breakdown happened the same year that my marriage broke down. So it was yeah, like, that's a lot. 2014 was hard. And my lung collapsed, I had another motor rights. twice, three months apart. Bye. Ended up in hospital having lung surgery. 2014 was a tough year. So here I am now having to restructure my business, change trading name. Hmm. so Change bank accounts so that I'm literally the sole. Take if that I, person out. Yeah, because I brought somebody in, and I had started by myself. And realizing now that I should have been the majority in the business, maybe I should have been the only person having access to the bank account. Not even maybe, hundred percent should have. Mm-hmm. So now when I see people, oh, we want to start a business together, I'm always having the talk. You know, when I'm coaching younger people, younger brands, inexperienced entrepreneurs who leave work, and a lot of people got inspired during COVID. Oh, I want to start my own business. So um that's on the business consultancy side outside of being, you know, PR and you know, and mentoring brands, is that you want to start a business, you think you know this person, friendship and business and two separate things they don't mix money is involved people behave differently
0: i'm with you i'm always of i mean we've seen businesses where people have started with their friends and they've worked out and i've but i feel like those are the anomalies because for the most part i feel like if you're gonna go in business with your friend you have to be understanding that Mm -hmm. this might go left and if this goes left you might lose your friendship so personally on a personal level i'm always like i'm
1: gonna have a partner i want it to be someone that's not my friend basically and that, the the thing is the person i got in was not my friend mm. we crossed paths and I, I acknowledged that he had skills i didn't and especially was marketing mm. i was going to be the pr head so we we weren't stopping on toes so yeah that didn't work out um and I, by that point, had to get over and heal. It took me about two years to feel myself again after that long surgery. Yeah. I decided I'm not going to run after trains no more because I fainted a couple of times in public. I mean, there was a few episodes where I felt like, you know what, God is telling you, your body is telling you, slow down. Because imagine all that time, I have no stuff. By yourself. By myself. And I'm dealing with a broken relationship and a broken heart. And mm. that took over two years before I got out of my mini-depression. I didn't know it was depression, but obviously I was literally, uh, yes, yes Yes, straight. Yeah, that'll take a long time. Um, and then, so all I had to left was the business. So you just kind of drowned yourself in your business? percent and I've been through hell and back. And some of the people that I'm working with brands have known me from year one on k so they know how hard I grinded. At the time when I was still working with that person, that's where I met Yolandi. Right. That's how he stepped into the business, and that's the year I hired Legend of North to sponsor a show that we decided to sponsor for this Croatian brand called yeah, I'm not even going to name but a, a Croatian brand. Uh, no, I'm not out there promoting people. Um <laughs> And I saw Yolandi doing a thing and and like producing ten, fifteen shows per season. I was like, it's a black on business. Let me put my. I remember we spent five grand. That's my first relationship and transaction with Yolandi. Wow. <laughs> yeah, to produce a solo show. Yeah. And it was at the Charing the, the hotel, you not know, Charing Cross. Um, oh yeah,
0: yeah, the one by the station.
1: Yeah. And she did a fantastic job. And she was so helpful. Um, she gave me contacts. She gave me advice. And I realized, yeah, she's just she's just amazing. But for when it comes to fashion, and she's as passionate as I am about mm. fashion. And that's how we got to know each other. That's, but that was a long time ago. That was 2011. That was the year I got married. Wow. We produced the show in February. Um, so I had three months to work with her to produce that solo show and plan a wedding in abroad. So the show happened and yeah, a week later I flew off and got married. Yeah. <laughs> <A> We've known <laughs> each other a long time. Yeah. Fast forward four years later, all of that breaks down and um, so I decided I will never have a business partner again. I'll have maybe, if investment was to happen in future, I don't even know, possibly, maybe shareholders. But mm-hmm. a 50-50 situation when actually, why well, did I do 50-50 when I started it bef- before the person? And it was yeah. my, it's called K, flawless for a reason. K is because it's Karin. Mm. So, but again, inexperience. There's not a school of entrepreneur, you know what I mean? So, yeah, imagine two men breaking your heart.
0: <laughs> yeah, one year, that was a lot. And then also needing an an, um, an operation. I think we need to take a moment and just, like, appreciate where you are now,
1: considering but, what you went through
0: that year, because that's and, a lot. And
1: that is why people who think they know me now or have a perception of me now have absolutely no idea. Mm. And I skipped through so many episodes. I skipped here so many episodes. So bringing forward to where I am now, 2019 was a horrible year for a lot of people. And I think all my business friends would tell you it was a shitty year. It was the little amount of money I've ever made. I just wanted to stop here. I didn't want to touch it no more. By then, I'd already started working. I think, 20, I started writing in 2014 as well. Okay. Um, I'm always grateful to um, to um, an amazing Nigerian lady called Adobe. She had a magazine called Diva Scribe, and she trusted me um, as a feature editor of a magazine. And we spent nights putting this baby together. Hours and hours of writing and everything else. But... I always tell her, even though I don't see her often, I haven't seen her for years, but we speak sometimes WhatsApp. Yeah. I always tell her that I thank her, I'm grateful, because she planted the seed. That what was my first editorial job. Then moved on and worked with Fade Kemi, who also trusted me as a lifestyle editor for Niger Living, which she stopped and she went back to the lab and working chemistry. But that that particular, those two magazines helped me perfect and get my head around the editorial world engaging with brands which fed into my business mm. so great I was doing both and at that point you know I've left the bank so I might as well do both so I'm yeah. busy, busy and hopefully I can meet brands who need my PR services at the same time. Yeah. So it worked and then and then and then I remember going to the best of Africa Awards, which I attended last Sunday. Yeah. And I met Choma, another Nigerian lady, who said, I want you to be the in chief of Glam Africa. Oh, like, wow. And that's how, yeah, we met. We connected. She knew what I was doing. I guess people were aware of me. And that's when I took over you know, Glam Africa for a year. I rebranded the magazine at the time just to look and the ideas I had and, and I helped her build an entire team. So, I did Glam Africa for a year. And then after that, I felt like I met somebody who's still my friend now, uh, who founded Style of the City, which is like a stylist magazine, but in Wales. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I helped her launch a magazine from nothing, stayed with her for two years, and then I stepped out to really focus on K Flawless because. K-First started picking up speed, and I said, if I spend 50% of my time on your magazine, but I still dream, my dream is care and I want to do bigger and better things. But I still contribute. To this day? day. Uh, there was a whole break, and um, I used to be the fashion director and do all of that and deal with online as well. And her being in Wales, me in London, I could review restaurants, hotels, interview people here. And go to an event that she doesn't go to. I um I was like, I'm going to Paris Fashion Week. Do you want the content? Obviously, it's a print and online magazine. Yeah, so it was it was benefit. it was mutually beneficial. I have a lot of love for her. She's like a sister to me. And yeah, I think since this year she's asked me to do fashion pages, and I have. I have. And it's quarterly. I can do three or four shopping pages once every three months. Yeah. I love fashion. I love friends. So it's great. And I think in the midst of that, I started from then when I left uh, um, Sadler City per se, because I was doing PR full on. I thought, let me revive my blog that I had started in 2011, not understanding how digital was going to be what it is now. That's before I, I even think, I don't know when Instagram was founded, but that was before I knew as much as I know now about um, about social media. Yeah. Um, so I started, and I, when I look at the stats at the time, they were insane. I didn't realize. You know when you don't know? It? So I put it on the side. And then a year before, 2019, that tough year, I thought, let me just revive my blog because maybe there'll be a way for people to find me. Mm. Things that I like on um, fashion, beauty, lifestyle. So I did that. Then twenty 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 arrived, COVID, <laughs> which have been the best business year for me. I always, it weird. was, yeah, really, yeah. In what sense? As in, like, what happened? Well, I'll tell a lie. Twenty twenty one is even mm. been twice better than twenty twenty. Why and do trend-
0: you think that is?
1: 2020. To- well I can see the turnover is doubled. So no, I, can- I mean like why do you feel like you had
0: more business during COVID?
1: Because everybody was online. Everybody stuck at home, online. Everybody's re-evaluating their life and trying to start a business. Everybody needed a website or a logo or marketing material or social media content. Everybody wanted to start a podcast. Everybody wanted everybody wanted something online.
0: Yeah.
1: They came to you. Selling people. People were selling products online. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! I need to move to Shopify and do this and that. Mm. And then people never had to change carry who lost their job. For you know what? Let me try to give that passion project a go. Let me launch. So there was a lot happening in the business world, and I was there and ready. By 2020, I was. Um, I'd already. 2019, I decided I'm not doing the office anymore because having offices costs a lot of money. And for mm-hmm. me, not. I was like, I want to be able to travel, which you notice I, <laughs> I like. You do that. a lot. <laughs> and I want to be, and I went online, I did some research, and I saw that some companies can make multi-million dollars, 10,000 employees worldwide, no offices. And I was like, that's going to be me. I want to be the girl with the laptop on the beach. I want to be a digi Yeah, because I don't know where life's going to take me. I wanted to move to the US, and COVID hit us, so that changed my plan, um, and and I felt like, okay, this is the way to go. So when everything shut down and people were locked down and told you're going to have to work from home, and it was such a drastic change for so many companies, we were there. So we are online, working remotely, myself and my team, and I think I got more confidence. And I don't know. you know when you do your well, I don't know if you were this up, but I would say when you hit ten years in business, mm. it's there's a shift. there's a it's a milestone. there's a shift. And I felt that all of a sudden, because people were like willingly or unwillingly we had to admit, ish, she's still there.. Mm. So yeah, the longevity. The respect had to be there. All yeah. of the I was included in conversation. I started getting kind of emails for things that I, people didn't even look at me twice before. It's like the 10-year mark.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, you've made your mark. Like, you're the real yeah. deal.
1: And I'm still there. And I'm like, mm. and how many businesses did shut down during COVID? You know. But how many agencies that do what I do? That I used to look up and like, oh my god, that's a big agency, they got the biggest client shut down. I'm like trying to go on the website, gone. Mm. IG page, no post since yeah. 2020. I'm like, what? What happened there? So all of a sudden, yeah, it's almost like doors kind of finally opened and um big change for me. I was able finally able to employ people. Yeah. So far, I only work with uh, freelancers and interns. I couldn't afford full-time staff. And and again, during COVID, Kickstarter scheme came into play and I mm. made full use of that. Oh, so you had a Kickstarter? I did the Kickstarter scheme, which allowed you to cover wages. Oh, uh, okay. Not to advance the money, but then you get the money back. Cover wages for six months. Oh, that's good. I time to hop on it. I hopped on it and got a few people in and out. The, these positions and one person today is still with me so she did Kickstarter six months and you're not allowed to do two or like as a, as a person job hunting you had to be between uh, you know no older than 22 and you had to be a job seeker yeah and be with a job center so it was very specific to get people back into work and um i'm glad she's the person stayed i gave another six-month contract and in June I offered a permanent contract. Never have, would I thought 10 years ago that I'll be responsible for somebody's livelihood. Yeah, that's I'm amazing. I'm a business manager and I'm recruiting but technically when we are full capacity we are a team of five. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so I have a
0: few questions like regarding PR because you are like the PR queen, right? And oh. Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that?
1: Who said that?
0: <laughs> and I was looking at the the post that you posted yesterday on your status, where you contributed to a Daily Mail or the Mail Online article regarding like fashion trends that are coming back. But so ma- the sun. The sun. The sun, yes, sorry, it was the sun, yes. I was like, what did you see that? Yeah, the sun. Um, so my question, so it kind of got me thinking, right, because it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, is how do you, if someone was to come to you right now and I'm and they were to ask you, how do I get PR for my brand without going to a PR agency, like, hey, flawless, and put I don't have the money, I don't have the budget, how can I get PR for my brand? How can I be featured in the mag, in the newspapers and the magazines, and you know get all these other opportunities and exposure? The
1: kind of journalist is that talks about, or the editor is that talks about fashion. Hmm. Look by the magazine, look at it, see brands. If there are brands that do what you do in the magazine, you look at the name of the person and put the page together, and you send them a pitch: short biography, high-res images, a link to a Google Drive, not massive attachment because that email will get deleted and you pitch them. If they like it, then they'll feature you. I will really make it simple, but yeah, in a nutshell, that's what it is. How about other types of exposures? that would work if you have a clean image online, you have nice socials, you have a nice website, you have quality images, and that's that's the thing. Before you go and knock on that door, are you well-dressed? and prepped for the job mm. before you go and knock, knock. Can I please ask, put yourself together and putting yourself together together is what an agency can help you do. If you don't, if you don't know, you know some independent brand, they're extremely good at you look socials on point logo on point website, no typos. They're able to provide a press release. They know what a press release is. They've got the basics, mm. but some people don't have that. So if I was to email a journalist
0: and I don't have all of these things ready, maybe I have one or two, maybe I have a website, right? Um, do they journalists go... They'll just be like, ah, oh, delete. They'll do the whole Instagram look and check what, what you it
1: Depends. It depends. If you got something compelling and they think, oh, we never featured that because the, the bottom line, they're going to feature a brand knowing that the whole public will want to go on the website and think, okay, where can I buy this? If the website is tired... Why would they refer their audience to a tired website? <laughs> yeah. I was saying, I was going to say something else, but you know what I mean? It's common sense. You know, when you flick through magazines or you look online, oh my God, what's that? You're going to click and see how much it is. Yeah. If when you click, you get a broken link. Mm. Will you be in, impressed by the brand? Yeah. And also, the
0: journalist might
1: lose credibility as well. But they would never do that. Yeah. They write for a publication. Everything gets approved before it gets published. So they never, they would never do that. Yeah, they would never even dare putting it forward to their boss because they'd be like, what, what? the first thing they ask you usually is, do you have high res images, retail price, and a press release? If you like, what's that? That the conversation is over. Sis, next, <laughs> next. Or oh, they may be nice and break it down. Can I have a short biography? Can you please tell me about your brand? Do you have like a little summary? But the bottom line, if you haven't got that, why do you go and knock on somebody's door? It's a bit like when you do, okay, you get in the elevator, the elevator, elevator pitch is what, per minutes. Yeah. yeah. No, it's supposed to be 30 seconds to be fair. 30 seconds, sorry. You see, I'm thinking. Yeah. 30 seconds. Uh, 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 that's it. <laughs>
0: So, what kind of things does um, K Flawless PR? What do you guys
1: deal with? What do you I, manage? Oh, by the way, sorry, I rebranded it. It's K Flawless. So, we're not doing the PR at the end? Okay, cool. We, 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 we renamed K Flawless.
0: Why did you rename it?
1: Why did you take the PR I, out of it? I, I, For a long time, I said, I don't want to do PR anymore. <laughs> I just want to do business consultancy. I, I hear it. And I want to become a journalist, a major personality. It's still not happen. I'm creeping my way in. I, I feel like it's definitely going to happen.
0: I mean, you're going to the media bit because already from the articles that I've seen that you've been quoted on, it, there are a lot of them, right? So which oh, just tells me that me. maybe you're already there. Maybe you're already there, but you just don't realise. Or
1: maybe you're just not um, there. Yeah, but the, people, there's not, the thing is, how many of me looking like me is there? It's very few in places. And the places I want to go are the toughest to go to. So I've been doing yeah. writing for eight years.
0: But now you want to be more the face, you want to be in the front.
1: I I want to be first of all paid properly mm. or paid full stop. Yeah. And and do that. And I will always have K flawless regardless as a second re- source of revenue because I believe in multiple stream of income. Yeah, yeah. amen. So for now, now
0: that you've rebranded, just to K-Flawless, what are you specializing in?
1: What are people coming to you for? Digital marketing and PR. When we say digital marketing, what are we talking about? We're talking about social media management. We're talking about influencer marketing. We're talking about graphic design, web design, branding. Yeah. Okay. And ways of promoting your business and then the reason why i said npr because it's it's just sticking it's like a bad smell i'm not gonna go away it's sticking so i have pr <laughs> clients but we have design clients and we have talents what well, do you mean by your talents like you what does i mean talents are such as uh we have if you go on my ig page we have rachel finney she was on love island last year we have uh, Leroy Dawkins, who is a mature model and blog had one of his, his blog Once Upon a Time was listed one of the top hundred best blogs in his country, called uh, Diary of Close Horse and Um or Close Hall's Diary, sorry. We have Stefan, Mr. Tinder, also okay. a manager five years in a row, and a model, and he's a model. Um we have Larry, he's a PR client, but he's a YouTube personality. Larry Reed, very known on the gospel scene and uh, was on Kingdom Business on BET this season. Okay. Because, like, uh, Franklin Reed himself and Tim Rex and other people. And we haven't, and having worked with him and working with him now, he's based in Atlanta, allowed me to meet another client there who is like in uh, wealth management. So, these are a different breed of clients. They are like high net worth individuals, um, and they have different needs than, let's say, a startup fashion brand.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, of course. <laughs> especially if you're dealing with uh, talent as
1: as um, as a client, I think they'll be very, very and different I from I the want brand. To be somebody called Azula Coach, Coaches from the Congo. Um, and he trains uh, footballers mainly and he has a particular technique and fitness program called lazola fitness and uses live congolese music so he's got a band oh, so cool. yes so very talented guy and um and he wants to do a lot of philanthropy because he has a brother with down syndrome mm. so he's done something already with the down syndrome um foundation here in the UK and um we got him featured on BBC. That was the hardest long three month pitch harassing the person I knew to make sure. And then he went to a commission and BBC had like twelve topics and they picked his topic with two others out of twelve and he got featured on BBC News. So that was very good. Yeah, that was a good feel good feeling for him because <laughs> it's still gonna open and has opened doors for him. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So these are the talents for now, and I have my eyes on somebody, <laughs> <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> yeah, who I'm gonna sign later. So as I said, the arm of the building talent management is one thing. So I'm just like the agent, trying to get work for them. Yeah. And any request, whether it's a PR side, whether it's them doing posts and being paid and all that jazz, three, it's about five or six people. On the other side, which is the main bread and butter, that's the PR and also the design work, like yeah. book covers. That's a completely different world. And I realize I love doing this because every single person who writes a book is, it's my baby. So the cover is the most important thing for them. Oh yeah. that's the kind of design project I love doing. And people come and say, you know what? I hate my my my, my logo. I want to rebrand. I want to comment a certain. Whatever feelings they may have when mm. people see my logo and my website, I want it to be X about something, yeah. And that's the stuff, the treaty stuff that I love so much more than the PR in itself. That's the stuff, like I can tell your whole tone literally changed. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is the the bit, and then obviously love writing about fashion trends, uh, going to shows, and seeing how brands evolve and do things that's where as I said with Yolande we we kind of gel
0: yeah that's where you guys meet your genius geniusness yeah yes. comes together and Glad creates it. magic
1: how you do the fashion thing
0: yeah so you said you're going to well right now you're going to France
1: yeah in a few minutes and you say it's for work so which work is this it's just personal work client in oh, France, okay. and catching up with Friends collecting fashion bits from private sales for myself and maybe to resell. You know, yeah. <laughs> Paris is the mecca of fashion, right? Yeah. So yeah. Then, like,
0: oh, so do you what, think the fashions in in um, in Paris are better than fashion
1: in London or New York or in Milan at least? We know Paris is the capital of fashion. If you think about the the richest group, LVMH, where, where, where there you go. Now, of course, New York, Milan, and um, London, also fashion uh, cities. But the whole world Paris is buying one. Paris from the, US, the Cannes Festival. I mean, that's true. These are fashion moments. And in the U.S., they're going to have the Met Gala, but for the most part. All yeah. right. Oh. Well, thank you so much for
0: sitting with me. This has been great. I've really enjoyed hearing your story. I mean, obviously, we've had a few conversations, but they haven't been this detailed, right? Because it's always been in a social setting where it's like one or two minutes that we get to talk. So this has been lovely. Thank you so much for doing this with me.
1: You're welcome. So hopefully (laughs) the time we speak, I'll be in my new era. You know, like be. artists, when they come back after seven year I like a Rihanna. is like, oh, yeah, it's going to be in a new era. So, Careful it's going to be in a new era. You will be, 100%. I'm, I hope so. Um, I'm going to speak it in existence. Yes. And either with a big publication or a TV channel. At the same time, I'm like, I love anonymity. Sorry. You can't maybe, have them both. Yeah, maybe it'll be behind the scene. I don't know. But you can still do a job that is public but be private. Probably.
0: Yeah I think you can be the face of something a, but
1: free, keep your life. Private. Private, I'm a private public person, uh public yeah. figure. Yeah
0: person. you can definitely be out there but no one has to know anything about you about you that you don't want them to know.
1: That's me. Yeah. Very much yeah. <laughs> you can look on my Instagram you say oh she likes traveling. She goes places but you don't know anything else about yeah so exactly. you can have it all.
0: So where can people reach you? If they want to contact you.
1: They can reach me on info at kflowless K-A-Y and com. And okay. any socials you want to share? So my personal Instagram is KFlawlessOfficial. And my uh, business Instagram is digital. There you go. There you have it. Thank you so much for this. That was
0: Kareem. And thank you so much, Kareem, for taking the time out. I know you are traveling. I know you're on your way to Paris. Um, I hope you have an amazing time. But thank you so much for sitting down with me and sharing your knowledge and sharing your story, most importantly. Um, Like I said, we've spoken here and there, but we've never actually sat down to really talk. So this was an extra special episode. Thank you so much for that. I hope everyone enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed listening to Kareen talk. I hope you got some good points on how to get PR for your brand. And if you need to reach out Corinne, her details are in the episode. For her personal Instagram, it's kflawlessofficial, and for her business page, it's kflawlessdigital. As usual, follow me on home of my back in on Instagram and TikTok go to the website mybacking.co.uk and sign up for updates so you can get an email every time a new episode drops so you don't have to try and remember or you don't have to try and go on socials or you know it's already there you can also follow the podcast on apple and spotify i'm not sure if you can follow on google and amazon music but if you can do that wherever you listen to the podcast make sure you follow if you can review That will be amazing. This means that other people can find the podcast and they can get value. I mean, that's why we're doing this to tell the stories of black women for them to be heard. Um, I'll speak to you next week. Bye.